welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dave. I am here with special co-host, Victoria, and we have a real treat. We have the dynamic duo of Code Catalyst back for general availability for full launch. We have Doug Clausen, Principal Product Manager, Technical for Code Catalyst, and Harry Maurer, GM for AWS Code Suite. Gentlemen, thank you for coming back on the show. Really excited about this launch. Thanks yeah, for thanks, having us. Dave. So what has happened since November? Uh, what Not in your happened? personal lives. I don't want to know about that. I want to know about Code Catalyst, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me all about the feedback. Tell me all about the goodness. How did the launch go? It was great. I mean, I think Doug and I, we all had a lot of fun at reInvent launching the product. It was launched in preview. And so, you know, from then till now, it was really the team focused on uh, finishing up sort of the last mile stuff that we needed to do to make it generally available for all, for all of our customers. So. A lot of, lot of work uh, went into it in the last couple of months. A lot of uh, real sort of what I like to call chopping wood type stuff that we needed to do to make sure it was a better experience for uh, AWS customers. So integrating it into other AWS services was a key thing that we needed to do. Um, and we also uh, needed it like things like integrating it with uh, our support systems and those types of things. So that was all completed. And then we also introduced a number of new features that customers were asking about as part of the GA launch as well. So that was a lot of work by the team to get done in the last couple of weeks. And we got a lot more to do too. So we can talk about some of the future stuff as well as we get past this new uh, at this uh, GA launch. Harry, since you mentioned the reInvent talk, I want to tell you, I watched the talk probably like 10 times. And I told Doug, if you ask me about timestamps, I can probably tell you. <laughs> What were the timestamps? <laughs> I, for the audience, I really want to recommend to actually watch this talk. First, you will learn about Code Catalyst, but also I think this is a great example of technical talk. And I'll give you a few reasons why I think so. I love how you started with a story. Like you had this blurry image of a road with past cars passing. And I love how you said that this is what we are doing. We are going to enable developers to build fast, right? It really accelerates the speed on how you develop applications on AWS. So I think you set a great tone and it was really clear, like, okay, well, I now understand. And then it was, I really loved how you had the dialogue and it was like so smooth between you and her. It was a kind of like a discussion, right? And then another thing that I really loved was demos. So it's not just about your PowerPoint slide where you just sit and you're like, okay, this is kind of like a marketing BS, right? I can actually see product. Like I can actually understand. <laughs> so um, yeah, for the audience, we definitely should put the link and I am preparing now for Berlin Summit where I will be presenting on Code Catalyst. And I hope my presentation will be as half maybe good as yours. Probably better, but yeah, thank you for the kind. <laughs> you're too, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. you're way over generous because I think we're, uh, well, I think we're learning from you guys too. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, I think we, so if we, if we did well, it's because we picked up tricks from you and hopefully you'll pick up tricks from us and it's a reinforcing circle. So I really, really appreciate the feedback. Yeah, and I, I I love that. I you know people don't know this, but the three of you you are all super. You're you're super technical, but you're also authentic and passionate. And I you know it, what Victoria is talking about. I think that comes through. Like Doug and Harry, you you both actually like each other. You know, so that comes through. That comes through in a podcast and a webcast. It's always great to work with people who have aligned vision and are good to work with. And Victoria. 
I'm for those that don't know, I mean, what is it like seven certifications you have, Victoria? Like she goes around speaking and is super technical too. So I am I'm honored to to be working with with folks like you. And that does show through. I do feel like developers, they could tell if you're just marketing or if you're actually passionate. And I think it's great what you pointed out too, Victoria, is that the vision for this thing, it's not there yet. You know, to what you said, Harry, still got a lot of work. It's not there yet, but the vision. And what's been set and the foundation of what was set at, at reInvent and what is now, I think, is this journey that's worth going along, you know, as a developer. And it's it's really about that speed. So, Doug, can you can you talk a little bit about the uh, the blood, sweat and tears of the past couple of months of putting into that and what's now new in the in the GA launch specifically for developers? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got. Uh... Harry mentioned we got some new features, right? Harry mentioned the things that we did that were kind of the chopping wood things that we just needed to get done. But uh, we did we did listen for feedback on what customers were specifically looking for, and then we tried to address those as quickly as we could. So a couple of things that we added. Uh, one was ARM builds, so ARM compute builds, which help customers reduce costs. And really, for that, what that means on the free tier is you just get more minutes. We uh, enabled Code Catalyst dev environments, which if we don't remember what dev environments are, it's think of it like your uh, IDE in the cloud uh, where you're running either a local instance of VS Code connected to a backend machine that's doing all of your compiling and heavy lifting. Uh, we connected those to GitHub repos. It was actually one of our most requested things after the reInvent yeah, talk that nice. I did. I had multiple customers come up to me asking, hey, can I use that with GitHub? Uh, I just want to use that with GitHub today. Uh, and we didn't quite have it. I, so from a developer perspective, if I'm looking at AWS, I'm going to be like, where can I integrate with Git? And it was always code suite for me. I was like, code commit just works. And in fact, it's like managing this stuff behind the scenes for me. Like, I don't even need to look at Git if I want to, but it's actually running underneath yeah. as a foundation, which I always thought was wicked cool. Well, te well, technically, I think in code services, you it's the, the integration matters in code build and code pipeline, which we have. We have it in both of right. those as well. So, like, you could build, oh, you nice. could build off of your GitHub repo in Code Build. You can, you can build and push from Code Pipeline. So, both of those have had access. So, since we are starting to talk about this Code X product, I yeah. had the question from the community, and they were saying, "Well, how does Code Catalyst fits in into all of these Code products? Should we start like abandoning them and start moving to Code Catalyst, or what's?" the vision that we at AWS set up forward? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take this. Um, absolutely not. Don't abandon the code services. Uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, we we want to do is we want to offer a wider choice of, of services to our customers. So we look at it as a portfolio of options that range from wanting to build stuff yourself to wanting to have something integrated and just usable off the shelf, right? So there's a, there's a class of customers that, that really love the code services because they act as building block services, much like the rest of AWS, right? So you take take EC2, you take Lambda, you take Fargate, you take you know um, S3, put all that stuff together, you build an application. Um, you take code services, you take um, code commit, code build, code deploy, code pipeline, put them all together, and you build an application, right? Our building block services are really for those customers who want to either build their own custom tool chains, where they want to have their own experience, because maybe you know, they have a special way of doing things and they feel like it's a competitive advantage or it's a heavily regulated environment or for whatever reasons, they think that building them building their own uh, tool chain is the right way for them to go forward, right? So we offer the, the, the code services for that. But there's also a, 
uh, a whole segment of customers that just want it to work, right? They want to have everything they need from planning all the way through deployment, all ready, pre-integrated and working as a end-to-end -to -end tool chain. And that's what Code Catalyst is for. So we've always had these building block services and customers have always tried to, uh, I've always used them that way. And, and we've gotten a lot of feedback over the years that this is great, but I really wish you also had an integrated offering for the cases where I don't want to put in this much effort and time into doing all this integration. Right. So that's that's how we separate the two. So what I hear you saying is that basically if you want to have more flexibility and if you have more complexity in terms of what you're designing, then Code Suite might be for you. But if you want to get started fast, then mm -hmm. you might look into Code Catalyst. Is it yeah, rough, roughly I would say that. Yeah, I don't want to say that uh, Code Catalyst doesn't um, provide you flexibility to, because we do offer the ability to integrate with existing tools within Code Catalyst. We, we do it through a different way. You can extend the product by, you can integrate Jira, you can integrate GitHub, you can integrate you know, any one of you know, 10 or 12,000 GitHub actions into, the, into our workflows. Uh, so there is extensibility and customization within Code Catalyst, but if you really, really want like the power and the capability to assemble your own tool chain or say mix and match tools where you want to use code build with Jenkins and Jira, and then you build uh, an experience on top of it. Like that's the sweet spot for code services. I love it. Yeah, so uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, Harry mentioned it a little bit, we've got uh, some extensibility things coming. One of the things that we did just release, now it's only available to partners right now, but was the Actions Development Kit, which is allowing essentially other teams inside of Amazon or other partners uh, that are partnered with Amazon to build workflow actions, right? So this will help us scale additional workflow actions beyond the ones we already offer, in addition to offering the GitHub actions as well. And then I'd say I'll summarize the rest of the features as sort of more in a connectivity between the verticals. So things like, uh, we'll see this in the demo today uh, that we do at uh, Developer Innovation Day, but linking uh, issues and pull requests, for example. So you can kind of carry the history all the way from the time the issue gets created all the way through when the pull request actually goes in and the work is done. Uh, so it kind of continues the lineage of uh, uh, the interconnectivity between the different verticals. And so you'll see some more of that too. I love it. What what was like the top requested, I, you mentioned Git, but what was some of the top requested developer and customer feedback during all of this? Yeah, so that was the other thing that was super cool, I thought, is we got a lot of really good feedback. A lot of people reached out, um, both people who are very familiar with AWS and people who were not that familiar with AWS. Um, so it was kind of cool to see uh, sort of brand new impressions, uh, people who had not experienced a lot of AWS previously, and then people who had experienced a lot of AWS. And we had a lot of, uh, I'd say some of the biggest asks were for things that we are working on right now, and, and I'll, um, I'll get those in a second. I think where we're at right now with Code Catalyst is we're kind of at a good spot for you know small development teams uh, who are working on a, a, a project, right? And working on a project together. We have a good set of capabilities for that. But when we start to grow into to larger teams, and again, we've done a lot of engagements with customers like this as well, that we're missing some of the core features that those larger customers wanted, right? So one of the top requested features is SSO. So how do I connect this to something else so I don't have to create builder IDs for every person I have? I just want what I already have. Um, so when you think about some of the things that larger teams would need around SSO and governance and provenance and things like that, um, I'd say those were many of the top requested features. Uh, that we've that we haven't quite worked on yet, and we're we're gonna we're working on those now. Any timeline? I actually got uh, several uh, people from community asking specifically about integrations with identity directories. Maybe you can give us a little bit. 
preview <laughs> of what's coming. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we really focused uh, the pre both the preview launch and this GA launch on that sort of core developer experience. So it's really the features and capabilities of Code Kyle's today are really geared towards, I'd say, individuals and small teams. But if you're a, a larger team or a larger organization that needs more sort of complex capabilities, SSO sort of being one of those, but things like governance and best practice policy enforcement, uh, software bill of materials, those sorts of things. We plan to be launching those later this year as part of an enterprise tier that we'll be um, announcing probably around the reInvent timeframe. And uh, Harry, do you have somewhere like a public changelog where a community can go and see what are all of this amazing stuff that you are adding to, to the product? Not yet, but this is something that I'm pushing the team to, to get put together so that we can be more transparent with the roadmap and also get feedback uh, to help us better prioritize the features. We get pretty good feedback now. We're, we're regularly talking with customers, but it would be great to share that with everyone else. And so it's something that we're working on. Yeah, so I'd say okay. both, Victoria, both a change log and a roadmap, right? Um, we want to do both yeah, nice. uh, so that mm -hmm. you can see what we did do and then what we're thinking about for the upcoming features as well. I know those have also been asked for, and uh, we are yes. in, in progress. I'm probably talking to yes. some of the community builders that you are. <laughs> it's almost, you know, it's almost like you had to ship a product or something, Doug. Right. Yeah. And again, we, we like, <laughs> our biggest goal was to get to GA, right? And that allows yeah. uh, customers to have confidence in adopting the product. And, and we got there, and now it's how do we sort of build upon that. So, yeah. Yeah. So can you expand a little bit on this? What does it mean when a product goes from preview to GA? How do we at AWS decide when it's ready and what it really means? There's, so there's an internal uh, bar that we need to meet, but then there's also just general customer expectations. And so we have a whole, there's an expectation that AWS services work in a certain way and that are available to uh, a certain you know segment of the population. So things like, um, does it integrate with um, Tagris, for instance, or, or tagging, uh, for instance? And does it integrate with, do you have the ability to do audit logs like CloudTrail and those sorts of things? And one of the, so we had a lot of that during the preview, but we didn't have things like uh, integration with our standard support tools. So during the preview period, if someone wanted to get support, they would have had to have gone directly to the product team to get it. But now, because we're integrated with the support tools that AWS uses, anyone who has a support uh, contract can now use the normal channels. So it's those sorts of things. One of the things that we it's different about a preview to GA for AWS is like if you if you were to look at maybe some of the other tech companies and how they might do it, they might say, oh, well, a preview product, we don't recommend that you put production workloads on it. And uh, we don't say that, we, you know, for our preview products, we, we, we still support you as if it was, uh, as if you wanted to run your production workload. So we've been enabling that since preview. It's really these sort of, I think we said at the beginning, these last mile sort of capabilities that customers expect AWS services to have that we, we needed to finish. And, 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 and that's what we, we focused on. Yeah, the other thing I'd add to that is that customers, you know, have an expectation that a GA product is, is uh, there is some, that, even though while we will uh, allow it a production use, right, and I shouldn't say allow it, but customers a lot of times don't want to adopt a preview product because they don't know if we're going to continue developing it. Like we had those questions as well, like, hey, it's in preview, are you going to continue working on this or not? And so we were like, yes, we are going to continue working on it and we're working towards that GA date now. So GA date is also kind of a big confidence boost, I think, in customers that we're going to continue working on the product and continuing to build it. So 
that was another, it's another. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess technically we could have chose to take some features out or chose not to ship the product at all, but and it was always a foregone conclusion. So, right. Um, yeah. yeah we but were, I mean, that is we one thing that you yeah. can do as part of preview as well. Yeah. Right. So what I also picked up is you're saying that, well, in order for us to go to GA, we had to integrate with other, inter with other AWS services, right? CloudTrail and mm -hmm. others. So you also mentioned that the service integrations were really requested by the community. So can you highlight some of the service integrations that you implemented in Code Catalyst? Yeah, so the, we actually, CloudTrail is, is coming. It will be there very shortly. We integrated with uh, Tagris, and I'm missing the other one. We did too. So <laughs> there's a lot of internal ones. So there's so Tagris is our tagging capability, so that you can do uh, you can tag all of your different connections for cost and billing and those sorts of things. We also integrated with the, yeah, service quotas. Yeah, internally, yeah. yeah. There's a rating and billing system called Minerva, right? So uh, if you wanted to look up what your particular rate limits were for using a service and what you'd be charged based on those sorts of things. You can do that during preview. Now you can do that through Minerva. Ones that are right on the precipice of being shipped, so they're basically there, but not totally exposed to customers are CloudTrail integration, CloudFormation integration, uh, CloudWatch, so we do have CloudWatch uh, integration. So those sorts of, th so those things um, will be if not available now, will be shortly available for customers. Oh, that's amazing. I'm really, really excited to hear about CloudWatch because the monitoring uh, right now is, uh, is a bit complex, I would say, because it requires either using AWS CLI. So I'm sure that a lot of developers will be uh, excited to hear about the CloudWatch integrations coming. So another thing that I was uh, I got from the community is about secrets manager integration. So I know in Code Catalyst you can create your own secrets and you can manage secrets. So mm -hmm. uh, the question was whether we are planning also to integrate it with AWS Secrets Manager. That is that's an interesting question because uh, it's uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe it's on the list, but it probably should be. <laughs> so yeah. do you want, uh, where are we at with that one, actually? Yeah, I think you are correct. I think it's it's not been on the radar. Good feedback. <laughs> we will uh, look at where that falls in. Is there, yeah, so we, we should we should look into that. I mean, there's a lot that you can do with the secrets manager capability that are built into Code Catalyst. And we always, so one of the things that's interesting about Code Catalyst is while it's an AWS service, it definitely works sort of outside the normal bounds of an AWS service, right? It does, it uses a builder ID. It doesn't necessarily use an AWS account to do a lot of the capabilities that we, that you do. And we did that for a, a specific reason, right? So that we made it easier for you to have a personal identity where you can collaborate with other people. And we also made it so that there was sort of a separation between the developer persona and the ops persona. So while you could work together in a DevOps platform, you wanted to sort of have a separation between this is our development tools and capability, and we're going to deploy into our AWS account. And so when we're doing things like secrets manager or uh, logging or those sorts of things, we have sort of like a, a bit of a split brain where you're going to be able to do that within Code Catalyst, but then if you're an AWS customer who relies on AWS services for that, we'll also have an extension capability where you're going to use those services to do to accomplish those same things. So our first goal is to make sure that like you can use the product just with your builder ID and provide those same types of capabilities, and then we'll follow it up with the corresponding AWS service integration. I think that's where we're at with the Secrets Manager right now. Is that we want to make sure that you could create and manage, a developer could create and manage their secret just using their builder ID and not having to have a connected AWS account. But we know that like 
the IT administrator, the IT leader, the DevOps center of excellence person is going to want a central place to manage all that as well. So we'll, and it's the same when you get to, you know, logging or tagging or all the rest of those sorts of things. So that, that'll be on the roadmap. So that's an interesting point that you are bringing regarding Cold Catalyst not being in AWS console, right? That you have it like a special place for it. So one of the questions that I also had, uh, are we planning to have Code Catalyst deploy on other systems outside of AWS? Well, obviously we want to make it the best experience for AWS customers first, right? So our goal is to, if you're building and deploying on AWS, that it's the best possible experience for a developer today, right? So that is our, that's our number one goal. But we also know that customers, particularly developers, don't want to have to necessarily have a different set of tools depending on their different platforms that they're working on, right? They like to have something more general purpose. So while we don't necessarily directly support deploying to other cloud providers or platforms today, there's nothing that would rule it out, right? It's something that we've talked about and we should, we're we considering. Yeah, and I came from industrial background and I can tell you that there are a lot of different use cases where you need this kind of a hybrid cloud approach where you have some components deployed at the edge and some components at the cloud. So I was just wondering how would, is it even possible with Cloud Catalyst to have this kind of use cases that deploy outside of AWS? Yeah, I mean, so we don't directly, so we we have a precedent for this. Like if you look in our code services, you look at code deploy. Code deploy actually does support uh, deploying not just on AWS, but also on-prem as well. So we have this agent model where you can deploy agents on-prem and you could use code deploy to deploy to your uh, on-prem environments as well as your AWS environments, right? So we we that capability carries over into Code Catalyst as well. So you you know through our workflows, you can write actions that would. There's nothing stopping you from writing an action that's going to be able to deploy to a different provider. Do we give you any special tools and uh, or any ways to the, to help you make it easier right now? No, not really. I mean, so that's that's sort of. <laughs> Right off, we should, we will, you know, as customers ask for it and it becomes uh, an obvious thing that we, we're going to need to do, we'll start adding and making it easier to do on-prem deployments or, you know, so I, my prior to, to uh, you know, coming to AWS, I was at Red Hat for a while and we, you know, it was a very much a hybrid cloud sort of a, uh, discussion that we would always have. And particularly when you're doing things on Kubernetes, where, you know, you've got your Kubernetes clusters running on-prem and also in the cloud and you want to move workloads between the two, like the, that's a natural sort of uh, use case for us to be able to deploy both to on-prem Kubernetes, you may know, say some maybe like OpenShift or your own homegrown Kubernetes uh, clusters on-prem, and then to EKS or whatever flavor of Kubernetes you're going to run on AWS. So uh, like that's a great example of where we, we can see that we're going to need to provide that capability to deploy it in both places. Dave, I'm really sorry. I feel like I'm still in your show. But, you know, I have three user group meetups coming up on Code Catalyst in May and June. And I'm just preparing myself yeah. for all the questions. Oh, please. No, like, this is why you're here. This is incredible. Like, for folks that don't, and I'll put all your information in the show notes, Victoria. Like, you have such a following online and you're so engaged with all the teams and you're out and you're speaking. So I love this. This is like almost like an ask me anything based on community feedback. Hopefully Doug and Harry aren't uh, aren't feeling like we're hitting them with too many questions, but I know that both of these gentlemen are, they love what they do. So I think they're enjoying this as much as, as we are. So please. Yeah, this is way better than us to give like uh, canned answers and uh, 
Unless, like I said, unless you're giving like a TED yeah. style level presentation, nobody wants to hear me uh, just, uh, you know, give a sermon. So <laughs> your questions and answers always work best. So keep it coming. Yeah. Yeah. So please continue to work through uh, your questions, Victoria. This is, this is great. Well, as I said, I'm just preparing myself for the user group events so that I could answer intelligently. So thank you so much <laughs> for bearing with me. I actually have a fun question. So for those who don't know, at AWS, when we develop service, we first give it a secret name. And then when service is officially released, it actually has a real name. I can tell you. So for, let's say, TwinMaker, for TwinMaker, the secret name was Rossi. And I have no idea where we come up with those names because even our official names are quite cryptic, right? So my first question is, what was uh, Code Catalyst's secret name before it was released? And mm -hmm. why actually now it's called Code Catalyst? I love oh, that question. <laughs> uh, let me, uh, so um, internally we called it Code.AWS or Cause, but our beta site was Quaka.Codes. And so like the quokka has become like our little mascot. If you're not familiar with a quokka, it's a marsupial, I think from Tasmania or it's, Australia. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's one anywhere. island off of the coast of it, southern coast of Australia. Yeah, <laughs> it's where they but it's it. the happiest animal on the earth. And so if you go look at like any picture of a quokka and they're looking at you, they look like they're smiling. It's it's uh, that was our that was our mascot. So and why is it called Code Catalyst? Oh, man, this is quite a journey. So there's a pretty, some would say insane naming process internally here at Amazon that it often doesn't result in the results that you think it's very undeterministic. And but I was pleasantly uh, surprised and pleased that we got uh, the you know Code Catalyst as the name because I think it really does uh, with all, all the other options that we had that were available it really does symbolize what we were trying to do which is you know take all of the stuff that teams do whether that's planning and visualizing and then coding and fixing and testing and all the things and because uh, that that a team would do and bring it all together and create that. Uh, be that agent of change that turns it into something useful for a customer, right? So CodeCatalyst is a place where code comes together to form its new, you know, the new capability, which is that you're going to give to customers, right? Because code on its own isn't anything until it turns into a real application. And that's the catalyst. That's the catalyzing part of a code catalyst. So, but if you had seen some of the other names that it almost was, uh, I don't know if you'd be happy with code catalyst or not because there was, some, there was a list of about a hundred names we had to get through. And it goes all the way up to Adam Solipsky. Uh, they is the ultimate decider of the name. So it's very, uh, it's a fun process. Any for any AWS Amazonian uh, who's ever gone through a naming, uh, everyone's got a story. <laughs> it's always a great story. I'm always I always shed a tear when the Star Wars, Star Trek, or Lord of the Rings names disappear into oblivion because they seem to be around a lot during the. And I'm like, yes, we're going to Mordor, and then it's gone. Well, so. funny inside. Uh, funny inside story, but a funny inside story. We had a pre, we had a previous product, or we have, a, we still have a previous product called CodeStar, which is sort of our was our original incarnation of what I guess you would call Code Catalysts today. We can talk a little about CodeStar. So CodeStar, yeah, for those of you who have used it or are continuing to use it, it does. It was a sort of an early precursor to Code Catalyst, where it sort of brought together all the code services into one unified experience, but really just at the surface level. 
And it was great for getting started, but it really didn't help you manage your entire uh, life cycle like Code Catalyst does today. Our plan is that we'll eventually move those customers onto Code Catalyst and we'll eventually start to shut uh, Code Star down. But when you think about the Star Wars names, one of the reasons that Code Star, and the Code Star name, it's funny inside stories about names, it the star part is about the asterisk, right? It was supposed to be Code dot star, right? So as the wild card for all things code, right? Then it morphed into the actual star word. But then a lot of people thought, oh, this sounds cool because it sounds like Death Star, right? So yeah. um, that was the uh, Star Wars reference to Code Star as well. So This is the way. This is the way. I really love this uh, team spirit. I just Googled Quokka and I saw the picture and I'm like, Oh, you saw them? Did you see their little hands too? Yeah. yeah. But you know, this is not the only thing that this team uh, made it like in a funny way. If you look at the first tutorial, the getting started tutorial, it's about mythical misfits. Yeah. (laughs) The first time I saw like a tutorial. Yeah, that's actually a long-standing AWS sample. That's like um, one of the ones that we, it's like the uh, pet store Java example. That mythical Misfits one has been out for a while. But what I really liked about what we did about it, we actually made it like, if anyone's ever tried to actually go through that tutorial and do it, Linda uh, did. Linda did a whole video on it. I, you know what? I'm going to write in the show notes to include her. If you do it with, if you do it all your own, it is somewhat of a mythical journey because I don't know if anyone's ever completely finished it. <laughs> but if you do it within Code Catalyst, you have an actual running application in a couple minutes, right? So it actually t- t- nice. takes the myth out of it a little bit and actually makes it real. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, yeah so this is a, like part of your one one of your blueprints. And so I, I just became developer developer advocate like three months ago. But before my dev You were I, always a developer advocate at heart. <laughs> yes. I was Don't let the title. The, yes. Uh, you've been doing videos for years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I had my daytime job, which was a solutions architect. And you know, as a solutions architect, when you start working with the customers, they uh, before they come with this um, design of a solution, they go through a lot of processes like, oh, which database we need to select, how we're going to architect. So I thought that the way that you implemented blueprints is just a really amazing way to get somebody started. So for people who don't know what Blueprint is, and I'm going to describe it in my language, and then Harry and Doug, you're going to uh, <laughs> tell everything that I said wrong. But basically, Blueprint, you select it, and you have your source code, and then you have your CI/CD pipelines, and you can implement it within, so the this mythical creature takes about 20 minutes to deploy, and you're up and running. So everything you need in one click. And then, so for a mythical misfit, so that's not really the point of deploying <laughs> misfits. The point is that it provides you a three-tier web application. And then you can use it as foundation and then change it, right? So it's like a good foundation for a serverless application. Uh, so now you can correct me everything that I said wrong. But I have one question uh, that came from the community and they said, oh, we love blueprints, really great way to get us started. But what we would like to see, we want to contribute also to those blueprints. We also want to create our own blueprints for enterprises. 
so that we don't share it, let's say, publicly, but we only have it on the company level. So can you tell me a little bit more about what's coming and correct everything I said wrong about Blueprints in general? First off, you said nothing. <laughs> said nothing wrong. That's correct, right? You very, it's very, Blueprints lets you really quickly get started. And that's why when Harry said it, so it's a bit of a journey to do it on your own. You know, Code Catalyst, uh, you create the entire app in a few clicks, right? You, you give it a name, you probably have some additional configurations if you wanna change some things, but you don't have to, uh, and, you, and you're off and running and you get the whole project created for you. Um, that is another piece of feedback that I uh, failed to mention up front. We have also heard from customers a lot that they love the blueprints. I think we've got like 16 of them right now, but they wanna be able to create their own to sort of enforce best practices and, and uh, allow their developers to get started on projects and developing that they want, they, what they wanted them to develop. We're working on that right now, actually, in, and it'll be done in sort of steps. Uh, and then I'll talk to like what we wanna get to. The first step will be what you just mentioned, which is being able to build them and then create them and release them in your own, what we call space. And think of a space like a collection of your projects, right? So uh, it's kind of an overall container. Uh, and you'll be able to create blueprints and then publish them back to your own space. We also, well, we're not there yet on the part of the vision is that blueprints also, we want them to, they'll be living documents, right? And so one of the problems that we know customers have, and I face this as well, is you 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 create a way to develop something, right? Let's say I develop a blueprint and I publish it, and then I have a hundred different teams build off of that blueprint. And then I realize, oh, I had a problem in that blueprint, or I'm going to upgrade this version of this piece of software package, or I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, right? Now I've got to figure out, well, who, which hundred used this blueprint and how am I going to get them all to update to whatever I want them to do differently now? And so blueprints will be living in that manner. So if all I'll do is update the blueprint and it'll create a, basically a pull request for all those projects that previously made were made off of my blueprint. So we've got, a, I don't know, I feel like we've got a big vision for blueprints. Uh, they, they are already super helpful as the way they are today. And it's only going to get better as we continue developing them out. Yeah, I just want to pull back the hood on them a little bit too, because people have this uh, sort of idea that they're like a static template that you know we're just going to describe all the different things. But it's really we debated on whether what to call these actually whether were they blueprints, were they um, something else? Because at their heart, they're really what I call generators, right? They're when you when you uh, choose a blueprint and you provide the inputs into it, like the selections that we have, like I want to do this uh, you know, using Amplify hosting and I want to use this framework and I want to use this language. They, those all get fed into actually a TypeScript application that's running on the background that generates everything for you, right? So it's generated on the fly. And the real key thing about this is, is not that we just give you a sample app that you can start with, but we give you the entire, everything that the team needs to start collaborating on it. Right. So uh, in the reInvent talk, we talked, one of the things that we talked about was customers wanted to automate the automation. So like if you go pull down an open source project today off of whatever, say GitHub or whatever, yeah, you got the source code, but you're left with the last mile part of like, I got to create a pipeline around this. I got to create an infrastructure around this to test and then deploy it to. With a blueprint, you get all of that, right? We create the test environment for you. We create the production environment for you. We create the pipeline for you. You've got the source code. You've got a place for your team. You can invite team members to where you can collaborate. You know, you can put your um, all your work items and your issues. Um, and it's it, it's a project that's ready to go that also includes sample code and the running application, right? As opposed to the other way around. And I think that's really important. And so when we do open this up, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what people do with it because the fact that it is a TypeScript application that runs that generates these things, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff being done with uh, customers building their own blueprints. 
So for the audience, I also want to mention that we have for Code Catalyst hands-on workshop, and you can actually go through all the steps and deploy the mythical misfit <laughs> blueprint, and then you can modify and try different features. So uh, therefore, let's make sure we add this link because I think it's a, it's a great workshop. And I will be actually leading this workshop next week in Germany. And one of the questions that I'm anticipating is, when Code Catalyst will be available in other regions. Mm -hmm. You want to take that, Doug? Yeah, of course. Uh, so before I mention what we're going to do with regions, the way because Harry mentioned, you know, Code Catalyst is a bit different and then it's off the console, right? So we have a single global endpoint, CodeCatalyst.aws. You go to that endpoint, and currently everything that we run is US East or US West. However, uh, one of the first things that happened after we launched in Preview at reInvent was we had somebody. A post on Twitter that they were able to create a CI/CD pipeline that deployed their application into three different regions, um, right? So you can deploy, even though the application exists, and you can deploy actually to any of those uh, other regions that you would like to. So, but with that, we also know that it's important to to grow our region base. As we get closer to customers, we know that will reduce latency a little bit. We've actually done tests on this, so we know exactly how much it will reduce it, uh, and we used that. Uh, sort of latency, and then also understanding that certain customers have uh, sovereignty needs, right? And they want to put um, their source code or whatever in in the in their particular region. So anyway, yes, US West, US East is where it runs today. Uh, but we want to get to other regions beyond that, right? And we've got a plan this year actually to grow those regions. And what you'll see is we'll uh, what we want to do is get as much geographic diversity as we can, right? So getting into different uh, areas of the world, and then we'll slowly grow out from there. So. Well, I can tell you one of my favorite feature in Code Catalyst is dev environments. So I am very impatient person. <laughs> and when I need to start working on a project, if I need to start fixing all of this environment variables and install all the prerequisites, and then it takes like really long time, right? For, for, for me to get started, I, I feel like, why am I wasting my time? So when Code Catalyst, um, after Code Catalyst was announced, I really adopted dev environments. So, Doug, maybe you can tell us a little bit more what's coming in dev environments. What are some of the new features you are introducing to share with the community? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm actually uh, right with you. Um, I also don't like installing dependencies, and I also don't like having issues where I hit where I have conflicting dependencies, right? Where it's happened to me with versions of Python. So, yeah, dev environments. Think of them as, as sort of IDEs in the cloud, right? We have dev, dev environments today with uh, Cloud9, so totally in the browser. We have them with VS Code, and then multiple of the popular uh, JetBrains IDEs. But what they essentially do is, uh, as opposed to like a developer, if, it, if I was logging in and using a repo, and that's sort of what Harry talked about before. With GitHub, you know, if I was to clone, clone that repo locally, I then have to figure out which dependencies I need to install to make sure I have everything ready to run on my machine, and then I can actually start developing on it. What a dev environment does is it, when you launch a dev environment on in the repo, it will create a new dev environments instance in the cloud, so essentially a cloud machine for you. It clones the repo for you. It installs all of the dependencies required for that particular repo that you're working in. And then if I was using, let's say, VS Code, it opens VS Code locally on my machine and then SSHs in back to that uh, back-end dev environment such that all the heavy lifting's happening in the cloud and my uh, machine itself uh, is just running sort of a thin client, I'll say, of VS Code. And again, what's great about that is if you don't typically work in a language and you don't have something installed or you have something that would conflict with what you'd have to install, you don't have to worry about like deconflicting all of that, right? You just literally click a button and you're ready to start developing inside of that today. 
it also the way that they work is they're software defined. So they use the dev file standard to define what packages get installed. And it's actually installing a Docker image on that particular machine. Or it's got a Docker image that actually has all of the dependencies in it. And so uh, every single developer working on the project gets the exact same repeatable experience every single time. So if you have a dependency change, you change your dev file, anyone that would then go launch that particular dev environment gets that exact same update. So everybody's working across the same same general definition. The other thing I'll mention that changed and then... Just a question. What if you have a different developer profile, you know, like front-end, back-end, and they need to have a different type of uh, compute? Can you still do this with this if the file makes it consistent for everybody? So you could choose the type of compute... I think you're, are you talking about building a project? So you said that all the, everything will be consistent, but you might have a different developer profile and perhaps based on a different developer profile might be they want to have some, something different set up for the environment. Is there flexibility to do that or you really will have everybody the same? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's two parts to that question, right? There's, can I uh, configure like my IDE settings so that I'm using a particular font, particular colors, all those kind of things? And then there's, hey, can I configure the environment where I'm actually running and debugging uh, the application so that I can make sure that I can have certain either CLI tools installed or memory configuration or whatever? So the first part of configuring your IDE and your experience that happens in your IDE. So that's t that's that's all you, right? So a lot of times, you know, uh, customers will use their you know VS Code or JetBrains IDE and connect it to this backend de uh, de debug environment. And those settings are your settings, right? You get to pick uh, colors and formats and uh, how your windows are laid out and everything in your IDE. That's you. But the backend where this runs, you know, from a memory compute CLIs that are installed, dependencies that are installed, that's consistent. We're trying to ensure that it's consistent across all the developers, so that it's also consistent with dev and prod and the rest of the environment. So you don't get into this situation where it runs on my machine. How come it doesn't run over there? So there's we're definitely trying to separate the two. We don't want too much variation or any variation between how where the environment in which the application runs from developer to developer, but we absolutely want to give developers flexibility in saying that I like dark theme, I like light theme, I like Comic Sans as my font, I like, you know, I use the standard whatever, you know, Carrier as my font. Um, What's wrong so, with Comic Sans, Harry? Yeah, nothing, especially when it's, you know, 16 point and bold, right? That's how I, that's how I roll my ID. And blinking. So, <laughs> I love, I'd love all this. I like, what's the future of this stuff? You know, like we just had a GA of Code Whisperer too, and I love everything your team's doing. And, you know, we're in this age of generative AI and low code, no code. Where is your head all at? And what's got you excited about the future? I can talk a little about the future and Doug can talk. I think it'd be great if Doug, I think one of the things we might, forgot to mention is the Code Whisperer integration that comes with MDs already. So oh, nice. um, from a future standpoint, you know, you can't deny that the technology has gotten to a point where it's starting to become useful for a lot of tasks, right? So you see code generation as an obvious one. We see other areas where like explaining how code works, explaining what this pull request is about, um, generating documentation, all that stuff is, we're poised to be able to use AI, specifically generative AI, to make a lot of those tasks easier for people. And so 
we're incorporating a lot of that into our roadmap as well. I don't really have a lot of details. Maybe that's one of a great that's a great follow up for us to come back and talk about is all the ways we're going to use yeah. AI to improve the love that. developer experience. But it's definitely on the roadmap. I don't want to talk too much about it today. But one of the things we do have available that is available today actually is the Code Whisperer integration. And I know Doug is going to be showing that as part of the demos in the Developer Innovation Day event. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, Doug? Go, yeah, Doug. It's, it's really cool. Um, you know, Victoria, like you, I also am not that patient and I actually didn't want to write all this code. So in the demo that I'm doing for Developer Innovation Day, uh, I'm actually using Code Whisperer. So essentially what I'm doing, I get a task from Kyle in our demo. I get, uh, all I do is I write some prompts. So I write a comment and then I let Code Whisperer write the code for me. Um, it's a pretty cool experience. Uh, having been a developer in the past myself, it's, uh, it's a bit surreal to write a comment and then get a signature function, a sign the signature of the function, and then actually get the function written for you. So um, if you haven't tried it out. You uh, know I what it's like, it. Doug? I thought about this a lot. You know what it's like? It's like being a manager. Go write this, and then these developers write the code. That's all it is. <laughs> so you're saying you can be a manager of a developer. Are you saying those that write the best prompts are the ones that are the best managers? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, manager is about being empathetic and being a good human being, Harry. I'm oh, not I taking the hat. Thank you to my AI. What do you mean? I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. There's nothing wrong. You know, if you don't have managers, you don't manners. You don't have anything. It Shout actually out is. To my I peeps think, in London. It is. I, I actually think it is the secret to good prompts because I say I'll say something like, "That was great." Can you just slightly adjust such and such? <laughs> yeah. It responds better to that than. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. Commands, just like a manager. Yeah. So, Doug, for those who are interested to learn more about Code Whisper integration, you mentioned you're going to have a demo. Is there a way for us to have some kind of a public uh, preview, public access, so we could link it here in? Um, yeah, we're actually. I know, I know, this podcast is going to go out shortly, but uh, we're actually doing the demo today at Developer Innovation Day. So. Uh, it'll likely be over by this point, but maybe Dave, we can include the video in the link. I know they'll be on YouTube. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, and, and honestly, to get started in your IDE, you go to the AWS Toolkit, you hit the Start button on Code Whisper, you do a quick authentication with Builder ID, and then you have to give it access to your code, and then it's going to start making suggestions for you. So it's a relatively simple uh, process to get started inside of Code Catalyst. Okay, so the integration will be inside the dev environment. Correct. That's where How it exists. How about uh, Code Whisper building CI/CD pipeline? <laughs> That's the next thing. Exactly. <laughs> like that's, awesome. that's the next podcast where we talk about all the ways we integrate this stuff across the entire tool chain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling I you, that. all this automated stuff, AutoGPT, everything, it's just as a software developer, you just change your title from software developer to software developer manager. To comment, right? Same thing. The other thing I would say is that like, we are still in the process of looking at what the generative AI does. So if, if people have feedback, please reach out and let us, like, if you think there's something that would be awesome for your, us to look at, uh, we'd be happy to hear about the feedback. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for being here today. I learned so much from you. And now I will be on my world journey of talking about Code Catalyst. So I'll make sure that the, some of this exciting points that you shared with us will be will come across and will be shared with community. Perfect. That sounds yeah. great. Th thank you so much. Where can folks find you all online, Code Catalyst online? I'll make sure I put it in the show notes too. Well, anyone can go to codecatalyst.aws. Um, that's where you can sign up and start using the product. You can find us on, if you want to find me and Doug, we're on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to find us, uh, to search for us. And you can find us there. 
Yeah, and then if um you know if you want even more information, you can go to the resources page on code.aws and you can see a number of blog posts and other hands-on labs and things like that. We'll be posting more information there uh, as we make it available. I love it. Thank you for all the work that you put in on behalf of our customers. You're you're actually creating something that's making developers' lives easier, creating uh you know, creating solutions simpler. And you know, people don't know this, like Victoria's on the road all over the place. Doug's sitting here in a hotel. Thank thank you for everything that you're doing. You know, I, I super appreciate it. And I'm just teasing you, Harry. You're running this whole thing. And you've had, for folks that don't know, Harry's had this idea for like, what, like the first time we were talking about this, like four years ago, you've had this vision of an overall solution for creating software development projects and making developers. So thank you for driving that vision. Super appreciate it. I feel like I've been working on the same thing for 20 some years. <laughs> it's, been, it's been 20 years. Isn't that like that cocoon meme from the eighties? That's, that's Harry's life. Yeah. And so yeah, some version of it for the past 20 some years anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anytime we'd love, love coming back on the show. And like I said, we've got some exciting stuff we can talk about, uh, especially as we get closer to reinvent, we can talk about some enterprise features. We can talk about AI stuff. Uh, we'd love to come back and, Again, thanks both of you to the, all the support that you give us uh, in in educating the customers and making them aware of everything we do. I totally Amazing. agree. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. It's always a pleasure. Thank you.